as I've wrestled through just the idea of what should, God, what do you want me to focus on this year? So as I wrestled through that this week, <clears throat> Exodus 33 verses 14 through 16 came to my mind. I'm going to read it to you guys. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? That's what I want for 2023. See, it feels like much of the church has forgotten about the importance of God's presence. See, what we do is we do a lot of good things. We provide Thanksgiving meals. We, we write a 20 or 200 or 1,000 for Clara to go to school. We volunteer at the church. We make cookies. We provide meals. We do all these good things. But some of these good things that we've been doing, we've been doing it without God's presence. See, sometimes it's, e tell me this, is it easier to write a $10 bill or write a $10, is it easier to write a $10 check or is it easier to write a $100 check or is it easier to sit for an hour trying to pray and intercede? See, what it's easier to do sometimes is it's easier to write a $100 check than it is to spend an hour with Jesus. Can anyone relate? Because there's things that have to get done. You got deadlines, uh, expectations. So I just felt like God was saying, hey, in 2023, I want my people to be in my presence again, to prioritize my presence. And if you're, so, so my declaration is, God, if your presence does not go with us, if your presence does not go with me, do not send me from here. I don't want to go anymore without your presence. I don't want to do anything without your presence any longer. And then what's unique is what else will distinguish me from your people? From all the, yeah, what would distinguish me from all the other people in the earth? What distinguishes you from all the other people in the earth? It's God's presence in your life. It's God's presence in your life. That's why there's been seasons where people have said, there's something different about you. There's something different. What's different about you? I don't know. I guess it's because I've been in God's presence. What's different about you? I've been in God's presence. So again, I say it feels like a lot of the church has forgotten about the importance of God's presence. And we must prioritize his presence this year. If his presence presence isn't with us, we shouldn't want to go. See, God's presence makes us different. It distinguishes us from all of the earth. So what I say is, Lord, make us prioritize your presence this year. Amen? Prioritize his presence. Small groups, they're coming. Prayer before church on Sundays, it's happening. Nine o'clock, we do it. Bible reading plan, prioritize soaking and sitting, worship music, prioritize it. Let's pray. Father, may we prioritize you this year. 
just your presence, worshiping at your feet. May we not be distracted by tasks and things that we want to drag you into. Pray that today, Father, as we talk about a sleepy church, that um, you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience. Father, I pray that we wouldn't think about who, who should be hearing this message, but I pray that we would receive this message and ask ourselves if we are sleeping. So, Father, convict us if we're sleeping today. Reveal that truth. May there be a blessing that wakes us up if we are the zombie church. The walking dead, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. A book I read several years ago, and I think even before um, I came back to MCF, maybe some of the leadership read the book. Um, I'm not sure. But um, Tom Rayner um, wrote a book about, what was it, the autopsy of a dying church or something like that. And essentially what he was revealing was what happens in churches that are dying. So in the book, Rainer identifies several fatal causes that put once alive and vibrant churches in the grave. And this included treating the past as a hero. And one of Macy and uh, my pet peeves is we believe that God is a creator, not a replicator. And the older we get, and I even recognize it in myself, I remember the glory days. I remember, God bless you. I remember, I remember when God did this in 2008. And I remember when God did this in 2009. And I remember the Jesus movement. And what there tends to be is this idea of when our faith was most alive and we remember that and we look to that. But God is a creator, is he not? Not a replicator. So what Rainer was saying is uh, many people look to the past in a dying church rather than the future. What they do is they refuse to adapt to the needs of the present community. Moving the focus um, of the budget to inward rather than outward, allowing the Great Commission to become the great omission. Um, let's see, yeah, letting the church become pre uh, preference-driven out of selfish and personal agendas, serving the, um, oh, sorry, seeing the tenure of the pastors decreasing. Failing to have regular corporate prayer. Having no purpose or vision. Obsessing over the facilities. So Rainer was saying those things are what happen in a church that is on the decline. So um, we have to consider where are we? And I'll bring up a few more at the end of this that I think may, might be a little bit more important than that. So what's going on is Jesus is going to address a church that is spiritually asleep. Are you sleeping right now? Are you listening right now? Are you sleeping? Did you miss it already? Did you miss it already? 
Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? See, moreover, he's addressing a church that was the walking dead. They are dead, but they're alive. They're alive, but they're dead. What, what does the world call that? Zombies. How many of you guys, just not asking for a raise of your hand, but how many of you guys feel inside that you are the walking dead? You say, God, I know that there's more. I know that there's more to life, and I, I've experienced it, and I've tasted, and I've seen and I'm alive, like my physical body is alive, but spiritually, I'm dead. See, Sardis, the church that we will be talking about today, relied on its reputation from the past to get them by. Therefore, they became complacent. but God always is kind to offer a remedy. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains, and repent. And I wonder, is this the church that we at MCF can relate to the most? Is it? Are we the walking dead? Are we the sleeping church? So if you have your Bibles, Revelation 3. Verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Sardis was known for great wealth and being a city that was hard to capture because it was on a mountain and it had a fortress on top of a mountain so this mountain was really hard to climb. Yet, um, yeah, I guess I'll get there. It worshipped at the temple of Cybele, a.k.a. Artemis or Cybel, um, which was Artemis, which they believed this goddess had the power to restore dead life. This temple was 160 feet by 300 feet, and it was suggested that um, Sardis had a loose moral environment. Though the city was somewhat protected by invasion because it was up on a mountaintop, right? It did experience many earthquakes. 
And in A.D. 17, much of the mountain um, collapsed. And much of that mountain was the mountain that protected the city. So then it became um, subject to being able to be defeated. So Jesus is addressing this church. And Jesus addresses more of his attributes first, though. So to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So again, we've addressed this before. The seven spirits, this is seven, completeness and wholeness. The seven spirits represent essentially the Holy Spirit. It's also a, a pointing towards the Trinity. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit, right? So completeness, he is the Holy Spirit. Um, seven stars, the, the seven stars are the messengers of the church. So were these seven stars actual angels or were the seven stars leaders within church, church land? Not explicitly sure, but we do know that they are the messengers of the church. Those who, who declare and teach God's truth. So what is God's or Jesus' diagnosis? He gives a diagnosis, right? He's done that for all the churches so far. And this church receives no words of congratulations. Don't you want to receive some kind of congratulations by God one day? Don't you hope that God might say to MCF, congratulating something about our character or how we served him, or take MCF out, just even the American church? So here's what he says I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. That alone within itself can convict me because I know that there's more. I know that there's uh, greater ways that I could serve. I know your deeds, but you have a reputation of being alive. How many of us in here have a reputation of being alive? We have a reputation of being alive. We have a reputation. Um, but now this church was dead. See, this church at one point, they walked the walk at one point. They talked the talk. They did everything that they were supposed to do, and they did it with fervor, and they did it with joy. I even think today um, Mark got a new Apple Watch wristband, and I bought some new, or he, bought a, he got a new Apple Watch, and he's got some thick wrists. So uh, he needed a little bit bigger wristband. So I just bought some cheap wristbands the other day, 10 bucks. And I told him I'd give him one. And I pulled him out. I'm like, which one's my worst one? Which one sucks? Oh, sorry. I should not. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> if you know, you know. Which one, which one do I hate the most? Which one do I not like the most? So I sat there. That's why I was late to church this morning. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, I remember, I remember, I remember, I do remember when I was like, I want the other person's happiness to be far greater than mine because there was such a surrender in my life. 
I want to I offer people my best. I'm like, man, I was painting yesterday. And I got a little bit of paint on this. Maybe I could give them this one. I mean, beggars can't be choosers. So I just held them up. And I said, well, this green one, no one wants this green one. So I'm not going to give Mark a green one. I mean, he's going to throw that away anyways. Putting them up there. I'm like, gray, dark gray. Which one do I want the most? And it really didn't matter to me at that point. I couldn't decide. So then I went to Macy and I said, which one should I give to Mark? She's like, it's still dark in here. <laughs> I can't see these. I said, which one is better? She said, the dark one. And I gave him the dark one. God bless you, Mark. <laughs> I love you, brother. A $2 wristband. But God was speaking to me through a $2 wristband. And then you think, you think of the woman in Scripture who found a penny and offered that to God. And that meant everything to him. Right? Proverbially speaking, I was wrestling over a penny to a friend that I love. That's horrible, isn't it? It was... But here's what I recognize, is I remember the season where I, I didn't, I just go buy Mark a whole pack. Here's a pack, have it. But now I'm wrestling over just one. So then I ask myself, am I dead? Do I have a reputation of being alive, but I'm dead? So... This church once walked the walk. They talked the talk. Their actions were full, and they had a pure heart, but now they were dead. All they had was a memory and a reputation from their past. It's all that they had. Is all that you have today is a memory of when God was so faithful in your life. Do you walk the walk today? Do you talk the talk? Do you enjoy it? Because I can walk the walk and not enjoy it. I can be disciplined enough to do the right thing as I did this morning and not love it. I can't say that I hate that I made the decision. It, it's an irrelevant decision. But if I can't make a $2 decision, how am I going to make the $1 million decision? God, God gives more to those who are faithful with little. So now hopefully next time God will let me buy $5 watch bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they had a reputation of being alive from the past. But how could an alive church become dead? How could we possibly become dead? How could someone who once burned with fervor for Jesus now be dead? How could we as a church who was once worshiping and flagging and running the aisles and serving and giving away hundreds of dollars and wanting to be involved in small groups and wanting to serve in kids ministry and tech booth and on the worship team and door greet and be ushers. How could we have a church who just loved to be a part of it and now it's such an obligation. Now all the church does is just steal my life and my time. How could that happen? 
How does that happen to me? How does that happen to you? See, the deadening of our spiritual life can happen in many ways. And what we've seen through the churches thus far is sometimes it's because we dabble in blatant sin. Sometimes we just know that we keep on running through the yellow lights. Sometimes it, we know that we keep on not completely stopping at the stop sign. Sometimes there's things in our lives that we just run through them because we think that we're getting okay or getting by with it. But many of the seven churches dealt with sexual immorality as the culprit. So what kind of sexual immorality might be infiltrating your life? A look, a thought, lust, hard words. I'm going to say them. Porn, masturbation. How many of these things have infiltrated the church? Adultery. How many of these things have we invited into our lives that are now leading us to a place of being dead? So you think just because God hasn't smashed you with his thumb, that he hasn't smashed you with your th his thumb, that you're getting by with it? But the fact of the matter is this, is how you feel dead in your life and you don't feel alive is the consequence of your sin. Because better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. Amen? There's nothing better, nothing better at all than being in his presence. So the deadening can happen because blatant sin. The deadening can happen because of immorality, sexual sin. The deadening can happen because of false idols, sports, career, hobbies, whatever, music, false idols. And then the deadening happens because of earthly temptations, just typical earthly temptations. So whatever that may be in your life, whatever sin is in your life, it is deadening you from experiencing his goodness and being alive today. See, maybe that hasn't, any of those that I've mentioned, maybe that hasn't deadened your faith. But maybe, maybe this, maybe none of those sins that I mentioned are deadening your faith. But maybe the one that is, is you're growing tired of standing against culture. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, the media, your friends, and so on. Maybe you're just growing tired of standing against it tired of these silly people at work. I'm tired of my silly neighbors. I'm tired of this silly person at the grocery store. So that deadens your faith. So what you do is you take the path of least resistance and you tolerate or affirm their actions because it's easier for you emotionally. Come on, somebody. We just want to we're, we're so tired of people. Whatever it is, we just tolerate it. Just, I don't have time for you. I'm just going to deal with you. So we just tolerate it. And, it. and we just let the conversation just go wherever it wants to because we're like, I'm not going to participate in it, but 
I'm also not going to add to it, so I'm just going to tolerate it. And that deadens our faith. When we don't stand for Christ, it deadens our faith. Because when we don't stand for Christ, it's us intentionally walking away from him. Amen? Deadening of our spiritual fervor is always a result of embracing the ideas contrary to Scripture. It also happens when we are afraid we might suffer for the gospel. The church in Sardis was resting on its laurels rather than pressing in. I've rested in my laurels. Um, yeah, I've rested in my laurels. I, there's, there's a reputation that I used to carry. Uh, there was a season where I'd pray for people and they were getting healed and I'd pray for people who needed jobs and they'd get a job next day or people were facing financial ruin and I prayed for them and then the next day thousands of dollars came. And it was God, God through me, of course, right? But there was such this expectation and then I, I just walked around understanding, well, people think that I'm spiritual now. So then you just live on that reputation. I wonder how many people are living on that reputation today. Is it possible that their good re reputation allowed them to rationalize their spiritual condition? Is your good reputation allowing you to rationalize your spiritual condition? Is anyone listening today? Is your good reputation allowing you to rationalize your spiritual condition? Despite, despite the smile they put on, Despite showing up every week, despite the ministry role that they served in, despite what they did in the past, despite the way that they honored people, despite being known for serving God, despite, yeah, how good people thought they were, they were dead. They have settled for an appearance rather than a relationship. So I say to you and I today, despite if you serve as a door greeter, despite pick on Scott, despite how you worship, right? I, I'm not judging it. I'm not being critical of it. Despite what he's doing, despite serving, despite being a pastor's wife, despite what's going, the smile that you put on when someone asks you how you're doing and you say, I'm fine or I'm good, and you know you're not. Despite faking everything, we can still be dead. That was the warning to this church. They were the walking dead. So please hear this. Hear this today. God knows you today. The things that are invisible to men are completely clear to God, no matter how spiritual we feel in comparison to someone else. The issue is that we play this comparison game with the world. Being in God's presence, being in God's presence isn't what sets us free. What sets us free is how we feel in comparison to someone else. Come on. I feel better than that person. And I'm like... Well, why do I feel better? Because I faked a smile better. I acted like I knew scripture better. I made sure that people knew this or that. So I'm living off my reputation rather than 
a relationship. <clears throat> the invisible things to men are completely clear to God, no matter how spiritual we feel in comparison to other people. How many people are dead today? Rhetorically speaking, how many people are dead today? Like, how could the creator, I've said this before, how, like, shouldn't we be asking the question, how could the creator of, how could I have a relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth? The birds and the bees, the fish in the seas, the oxygen, the molecules, the galaxies. How could the creator of everything in this life be living inside of me but my life be so dead? How could that happen? Well, maybe because we're dead. And we haven't welcomed him. And we've asked him, we've asked him to stay at arm's length. Now, we've never asked him to stay at arm's length, have we? We've never been in prayer, God, I just want you to stay at arm's length. But do you know where we have asked him to stay at arm's length? I'm getting ready to make this decision. I don't want you involved. I've made this decision. Stay away from me. I don't care what your opinion of of this is right now. I know what the Bible says, but. See, God knows whether we're faking or not. So what does he tell us to do? Jesus command, commands those um, who are not dead yet. Or, yeah. So what's his command? Jesus' command to those who are not dead yet? He says, wake up. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. This church was sleeping. They were no longer able to defend themselves against attacks or further God's kingdom. They needed to wake up. They were going through the motions. They were missing God. Sardis had fallen in war a couple times due to military sleepiness. They had great position, but because they were sleepy and they rested on their location, they fell. So what Jesus was telling them wasn't new to them about sleepiness. They understood the repercussions of being asleep. So he says, wake up and now stay awake. Wake up, wake up. This was, this was something... He, he was telling, giving them this, this imperative to do it right now. Wake up right now. But how do they wake up? What, what's the step to wake up? He tells them, strengthen what remains and is about to die. That's how we wake up. That's how you and I begin to wake up. We strengthen what remains. What's being said here is not to give up on a little bit of spiritual life that you have going right now. Even if you are feeling dry or dead, look for the small pieces of life that you have and strengthen that. Maybe the only thing that you can point to right now is a little piece of church that you are serving. Strengthen that. 
Maybe all that you have is door greeting. Strengthen that. Maybe all that you have is tithing. Strengthen that. Maybe all that you have is showing up to church. Strengthen that. Strengthen that. So how do you strengthen those things? Volunteer a little bit more. Instead of just going to church, sign up for a small group. Instead of just going to a small group, sign up for um, additional classes, right? Maybe all you do is read the Bible once a week. Strengthen that. Read it daily. The little bit of things that you're doing, strengthen those things. Amen? Is that clear? Strengthen it. Strengthen it. Strengthen it. But I... I can, I can feel it through the congregation. I can feel it like, I don't want to. I don't have time to. Strengthen it. This is a warning. Strengthen it. Strengthen it. Jesus was giving Sardis and you and I the opportunity to walk closer with him again by strengthening what we have not, um, by strengthening something, by strengthening what remains. Not focusing, what we, not focusing on what we don't have. He wasn't saying, hey, um, go learn how to be a preacher. Strengthen that. He was saying, no, if you're volunteering a little bit, just volunteer a little bit more. If, if you're going to church on Sunday, just now go to a small group. Strengthen it. Just don't focus on things you're not good at. By strengthening what remains, we can experience a renewed relationship with Jesus. It wasn't that this church wasn't doing work to try to further God's kingdom. It was that this church's heart wasn't in it. They settled for mediocre, average, comfortable, and convenient Christianity. When we talked, when this church was encouraged to strengthen it, what did they do? They settled for mediocre, average, comfortable, and convenient Christianity. Is that what we have settled for? Is that what this church has settled for? Is that what you individually have settled for? The issue was, is their non-Christian friends didn't see anything different about them. I brought, up out of, I brought that up out of Exodus earlier. Nothing distinguished them from the world. And because they settled for being average, They had works that were unfinished. They had works that were unfinished. Jesus continues, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. There's so many people that I've talked to that say, I have this idea, or I have that idea, or I have this dream. Unfinished, mediocre. This church was letting the job go unfinished, unfinished. Jesus assigned them to reach the lost people in Sardis for the sake of his name. His desire was that they would know him personally and grow to be mature followers of him. Yet those in Sardis have decided to take the easy road and not put in the effort. They took their foot off the proverbial throttle. So I ask you, Jesus has given you a mission. Jesus has given you business to further his kingdom. 
Is your foot on the throttle? Is your foot off? Are you on cruise control? And, and you say, but I don't know my mission. Well, you're lying to yourself and you don't have a biblical worldview then. You do have a mission. And the mission is to make disciples in all the earth, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Your mission is to love God. And if you're gonna love God, what does God say? If you love me, you keep my commandments. And what does he want us to do? Make disciples, further his kingdom, set the captives free. So your mission is clear. Have you taken your foot off the throttle of his mission? And you can't say you're on his mission if you never bring up his name. Are you actively engaging in making disciples? Are you actively, are we, am I? I know this is a heavy message. Not my words, his. I stand behind that we go through books of the Bible, so I'm never getting on my high horse up here. I'm never saying, what do I think the church needs? I'm saying, we're going to teach the Bible, and if it steps on someone's toes, it steps on someone's toes. Amen? If I were teaching topically, then none of y'all would be safe. I wouldn't even be safe. There was unfinished business. Do you have unfinished business in your life? Have you taken your foot off the throttle? I wonder if we've taken our foot off the throttle. I wonder if we are letting business go unfinished. I wonder if we are becoming sleepy in our faith. See, the church in Sardis had things that were incomplete. So what I hear is, the Sardis church was being disobedient and they had become okay with it. See, that's how deception works. The church in Sardis was being disobedient. There were things that they were called to that they weren't doing, but then their hearts started to justify and tolerate why it was okay. And we in the American church, have, we've all tolerated being disobedient. So why is spiritual sleepiness so serious. It's a very serious matter because in a couple verses he says um, that unless they change their way, he will strictly discipline them. Unless this church changes their way, he's gonna discipline them. And you know what the idea is, is there's no partial obedience. You realize that? How many of you guys have ever, God called you to do something? He's like, hey, go talk to this person. So then you wrestle, you wrestle, and you wrestle. And I'll just give a better illustration. Um, there was a time Macy and I were hanging out. Uh, when we were dating, God told me to talk to someone. So while I'm feeling like I'm supposed to talk to this person, we're walking through the store, and I'm, I'm off thinking I'm being obedient, talking to God. If you want me to talk to this person, they should do this. If you want me to talk to this person, they'll do that. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What would I even say? How would I talk to this person? And I'm thinking I'm being spiritual because I keep on asking him a thousand questions. I knew that I needed to talk to this person. And if you don't know what to say, just go start a conversation and then just bring up his name, right? But I'm wrestling through, God, am I supposed to talk to this person? Would I talk to this person? And then many of you know the story. We get up to the line, and I'm like, God, if you want me to talk to this person, 
because they were getting their receipt, right? They're getting a receipt. God, if you want me to talk to this person, they'll get receipt pieces. So what ends up happening is the wife was like, hey, babe, um, we need one more candy. I want Starbursts. And then guess what? He's like, no, sweetie, I want Reese's Pieces. So my heart stopped because I've been wrestling through this store for 20 minutes. God, am I supposed to talk to this person about you? She wanted Starburst. He said he wanted Reese's Pieces. Guess what I ended up letting this family do? Walk out the door and never said anything. I convinced myself that I was partially being obedient or partially being obedient because I kind of went the, like, I did everything other than I was almost willing, I prayed to God, I almost did it, but then the main thing I didn't do. So, like, I understood I wasn't perfect, so I patted myself on the back for almost doing it. There's no partial obedience when it comes to God. And if you keep on convincing yourself that there's partial obedience, you're going to die. Because there's obedience and there's disobedience. And disobedience is rebellion. So, are we sleeping? Spiritual sleepiness is, is uh, disobedience to God. There's no partial obedience you can't do something halfway and say that you're mostly obedient. See, the church of Sardis was being disobedient because they took their foot off the throttle. Are we taking our foot off the throttle? So um, we often get caught up in this idea that following Jesus is about things that we don't do, right? I don't drink. I don't do drugs, I don't speed, I don't have extramarital relations. I don't mistreat my spouse, I'm not lazy. We have all these things that we say we don't do. Essentially, people have made the Christian walk about things that they don't do, yeah, things that they don't do. Can you guys relate to that at all? I don't do this, I don't do that. That's not God's standard. God's standard is to do what he says. And what he says for our lives is to live a life that is actively in love with him and actively in love with others. We have to live sacrificially. So you're like, why are you bringing this up? Because Sardis had, has taken their foot off the throttle. Have you taken your foot off the throttle? There's things that God has called you to. There's things that God has called you to. So what good is it to leave a bad lifestyle if you don't embrace obedience to God? And I would say this. The church is made up of bad lifestyle down here, those who have left the bad lifestyle, and then those who are obedient. And what we think is just leaving the bad lifestyle is obedience to God. God wants us to leave a bad lifestyle, but if the enemy can keep us just thinking that that's it, then we'll keep on leaving, leading mediocre lives. So 
If we don't embrace obedience, we're missing it. And this is why the Bible is hard on omission. James 4, 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So anyone who knows that they're to be obedient and you're not, you're sinning. It's rebellion. Matthew 25, 22 through 30. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are, yeah, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So you guys know the parable. He gave talents, two, five, ten. And what happened is the one with ten went out and did something with it. The one with five did something with it. And he brought something back to the master. Well, this guy, what did he do? He buried it. He was afraid to take the risk. And what did God say to him? <laughs> you wicked, lazy servant. Um, you didn't scat, scat, scatter the seed. You should have at least put it in the bank to make some money back. So God wants us to do something with what he's given us. Amen? To keep the foot on the throttle. James 1, through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and um, after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We must not deceive ourselves. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Do what it says. Keep your foot on the throttle. What does the Bible tell us to do? God has put works out in front of us to further his kingdom. So are we sleeping or are we furthering his kingdom? I wonder, are we sleeping here at MCF? Have we settled for partial obedience? And a certain sign of sleepiness could be, um, yeah, could be answered by answering these questions. How are we participating in discipleship as a church? But I ask you individually, how are you participating individually in making disciples? As a church, how are we participating in outreach? As an individual, how are you participating in 
outreach. <clears throat> in tithing, how are we participating in tithing and giving and trusting God? As a church, as individuals. How are we participating as a church in serving? How are we participating as in individuals serving? How are we participating in small groups as a church and as individuals? And you say, well, Joey, if I participated in all of those things, it would consume my whole life. It would consume my whole life if I was discipling and outreaching and, and I already don't have enough money, so if I was tithing, where, where would the money come from? And serving, how could I serve the church more? And how could I be in small, involved in small groups? I wouldn't have a life. How many of you guys would feel that way? I wouldn't have a life. None of y'all would feel that way? Well, then we have a lot of, okay then. All right. We're going to stop service, right? Right meow. Here's what we, tithing's the e easiest one that I'll just pick on then. So, I mean, we can do that right now. So, we're saying, hey, if I did all of these things, I'd have no life left. But I ask you this, isn't he worthy of it all? Isn't he worthy of everything that we do in this life? He's worthy of it all. And the church of Sardis took their foot off the throttle and they forgot that he was worthy of it all. Have we forgotten that he is worthy of it all? One author said it this way. Instead of transmuting the vanishing enthusiasms of youth into a worthy life of purpose, we soften things and become anemic and insipid. There comes a loss of spiritual fervor, a waning of personal devotion, the feeling that we have earned the right to ease up on self-denial and indulge ourselves a little, to yield to soften, softening ease and settle down. With the fixing of life tendencies and habits, disillusionments, criticism and sometimes cynicism become a pattern of life. There comes an unconscious, unco unconscious deterioration of moral and spiritual power. Can you relate to that? You and I might not view spiritual sleepiness as a problem, but Jesus does. The church of Sardis was sleepy, and I wonder if you and I are sleepy today. So, uh, what does Jesus tell them? What's his remedy? Because it's a problem. So to help them wake up, he says we must remember, hold fast, and repent. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. So remember what you have received and heard. The church at Sardis was given a command similar to that of the Ephesian church, to consider or remember, to remember. Allowing yourself to become spiritually distracted plays a significant part in drifting away from life 
towards death. Being distracted leads to death rather than life. So to help us avoid being distracted, we must focus on remembering Jesus. Hebrews 2.1 says this, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. What have you heard? And what's this pointing to? What have we heard about Jesus? Where do we, where do we get this from the Bible? In church, what I'm afraid of is that is we as an American church, maybe even as a global church, not, not everyone, but the middle class church that just has life really easy. And you're like, well, you can't walk my shoes. I understand that. But as, as look, we've all experienced life and death, health and wealth, rich and poor. We've all had those moments of life. You're like, well, I haven't experienced rich. Okay. But here's the thing, as a church, we haven't experienced the persecution. We're not, we're not in basements or tunnels or caves hiding to worship Jesus, are we? So we haven't experienced that persecution either. So as a church, collectively, we've, we've had a pretty, pretty decent go at it. But we're drifting away because we're not remembering who Jesus is. We're not holding fast to what we have heard. We're not paying attention to that. Now, what have we heard? What this is pointing to is the Bible. We have to remember the Bible. If we're not holding fast to the words of the Bible, then uh, we're gonna continually drift away. And what I was getting at is, I don't think that the church is desperate enough yet. I don't think that some of you in here are desperate enough yet. I'm not sure that I'm desperate enough yet to remember, to seek, to desire. You know, Paul said he does the things he, don't, he doesn't want to do and he doesn't do the things he wants to do. I feel like much of the church feels that right now. God, God I want to be in your presence. I want to not move forward without you. I want to read your Bible. I want to further the kingdom. I want to pray for people to be healthy. I want to share the Great Commission or the gospel. I want to participate in the Great Commission. But we're not remembering. We must remember. We must pay careful attention. We must remember he lived the life we were supposed to live. Jesus lived the life that you were supposed to live. He died the death you were supposed to die and I was supposed to die. He experienced the wrath of God we were supposed to experience. He paid the penalty we were supposed to pay. He gave us the free gift of eternal life we don't deserve. Remember that. Amen? I feel like we're sleeping. I'm going to say it again because we need to remember. We must remember he lived the life we were supposed to live. He died the life, sorry, he died the death we were supposed to die. He experienced the wrath of God we were supposed to experience. He paid the penalty we were supposed to pay. 
He gave us the gift. Uh, he gave us the free gift of eternity, of eternal life that we don't deserve. Amen? Amen. Now we act in the life, what I talked about earlier. <laughs> we just look at alive now. You know, your coaches would always say, hey, look alive. I don't want you to fake it. I want you to be alive. Be excited about it. Amen. Amen. Why don't we remember him? Why would we not remember him? If we don't remember him, we drift away. Look, maybe you're getting ready to participate in the sin of gossip. If you remember him, and remember the price that he paid for you, you say, God, I remember the price he paid for me. I don't need to participate in this and my friends are gonna make fun of me. Well, experience a little bit of persecution, right? But if you remember him in that moment, how do you continue in your sin? How do I continue in my sin when I remember him? The church was sleepy and they didn't care to remember. Are you sleepy today? He continues, he says, hold fast. We are to treasure the truth. Hold to it, protect it, cherish it, value it, hold fast to it. And then he says, look, repent. We've talked a lot about repentance through these churches. So one commentator, I'll give you a different perspective than mine, said it this way. Repenting means changing your attitude about stubborn omission. Changing your attitude about stubborn omission. Judge it for the disobedience it is instead of rationalizing it. Agree with God that you need to be fully and productively awake and that you're ready to do whatever you need to get this. That's why I don't think the church is desperate enough right now. That's what I'm praying about. I don't think, not that I'm pointing fingers like saying, I, I, I think there's a deception that's over the American church. I think there's a de deception over our lives and I'm not, I'm not condemning anyone today. Maybe I'm, don't like using this term. Maybe it's, 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 it's a prophetic word coming out of me that God might be saying to us, wake up to, that there's more, that there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more. He wants us to walk closer to him. But I don't think that the church is willing to say, God, do whatever it takes, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be closer to you. Are we willing to repent that way? To say, God, whatever it takes, I'll do it. How many of you guys are afraid to say that today? God, whatever it takes. I'm afraid to say that today. It's scary, isn't it? And what's weird about that is, is we, think, we think that God's this mean God. So we think that if we say, God, do whatever it takes, then he's going to take all three of our puppies. <laughs> right? God, do whatever it takes. 
and our whole house is going to catch on fire or our 401k is going to be gone. Why do we think that God is an evil God? All that God wants us to do is just be willing to trust him and let go. God, I trust you. And the fact of the matter is we got trust issues. Come on, somebody say, I got trust issues. I got, God, I got trust issues with you. So that's why I can't repent, because I can only control what I can hold. And the fact of the matter is, is I think that I'm controlling it, and I'm not. God, I'm only controlling what I think I can hold on to. And what he wants is he just wants us to say, let go of it and trust me. Just let go of it. Just let go of it. Just let go of it. My prayer is that, that we would get to this place of vulnerability and surrender to where we just say, God, I trust you. I'm going to let go of it. I'm done. I don't think we're there yet. God, I pray that we would be done. God, help us be done. Who, God, help us be done today. Come on. Help us be done today. In all of our areas, help us be done. Reveal those areas and help us be done. Help us trust you. So, um, it's also very helpful to express this recognition of repentance and a decision to other brothers and sisters that can affirm this decision in our life. Amen? So when we make this decision of repentance, when we make this decision of, God, I'm done, share it with someone. I'm making this decision today to follow God. I only got one more page left. Uh, 27 more minutes. <laughs> if I don't share a story. <laughs> Jesus is warning. Jesus is warning. 3B. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come. <laughs> The other night, Macy and I were getting back late. Where were we coming from? I don't know. It was dark. Oh, look, another story. <laughs> Didn't even realize I was getting there. wasn't in the notes. We were coming home. And uh, we live in a cul-de-sac. And you generally know everyone that's in the cul-de-sac. So as we were driving through the cul-de-sac, we saw some dude walking on our bike path that we've never seen before. It's dark. It's like 10.30, maybe even 11. I'm like, I don't recognize that guy, Macy. And she's like, me neither. Well, you better not, woman. <laughs> you don't be looking at other guys. I know you don't. That's how pure she is. I'm like, Macy, you know who Scott Rupert is? She's like, no, I don't. <laughs> I've never looked at another man. <laughs> Thanks, Maxie. She's like, I don't even know what a bald head is. I just thought this is what hair is. Oh, you saint. Mary Macy, Mother Teresa. So we're, walk, or we're driving in this neighborhood, and I see this guy, and he's walking on the bike path. And by the bike path is like there's this little woods that the cul-de-sac created so people can walk in it. So I'm like, I've never seen that guy. And I wear like the community protector belt, right? Keep your eyes out to see what's going on. 
So I'm like, I'm taking a loop. So I quickly turn around. I mean, it was like 30 seconds. I mean, it was quick, Ricky Bobby style. In the lifted El Camino ridgeline. So I turn around and I come back and the dude's gone. Out of here. And you're like, what happened to him? Like, there were no houses by. Where did this guy go? He must have seen me turn around and now he's hiding. A thief, a thief, a thief. So you know what happened? So I went home, made sure all the windows were locked, turned on the bright lights, the security lights out front, made sure the sliding door was locked because I was ready for the thief. Got my butter knife out <laughs> underneath the pillow. I was ready. I was ready for the thief to come. Anyone ever been there? You saw some crazy activity, so you were ready for the thief. See, you checked the house, you checked the windows, you checked the blinds. Anyone ever done one of these? You hear some weird noises, you check the blinds, you check the blinds. If you know the thief was coming, you're ready for it. If we knew Jesus was coming in 55 minutes, we'd be ready. You'd be ready. You'd be getting rid of a lot of stuff in your life. Why are you holding on to it? You don't know when Jesus is coming. You don't know. And that's what the scripture's telling us. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. See, Jesus isn't going to be on the bike path at 1030, giving you a warning to protect your stuff. Jesus might come in five minutes. Jesus might come in an hour on the way home. Jesus might come like DeMar Hamlin on a football field, healthy young person who goes into cardiac arrest. DeMar Hamlin might be like Ozzy, the basketball player, who doctors first thought might have been having a stroke because he lost vision and left side pain, or he had no, no movement on his left side. They thought a ninth grader at Mechanicsburg was having a stroke. Ended up being a migraine. Praise God. You don't know. So there's this urgency with a sleepy church to repent now. Get rid of it now. Agree with God that you're done now. Tell God that you're willing to do whatever it takes and you trust him now. I can feel it though. I can feel it in the room that there's people here who say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And if all I could say is just let go of it today, right now. God, break the I'm not ready. God, break the deceit and the lies of the enemy of not being ready, of being too prideful. Break it in Jesus' name. Break it even in me those areas that I'm holding on to, the areas that we're holding on to that we're not repenting of. The church has forgotten about how patient God is in allowing us to repent. But God cannot be taken advantage of. 
So they were in danger of receiving an unexpected visit from him that would bring judgment. He's saying, repent now because you don't know when he will come. That's what you and I need to hear today. Repent now because Jesus is coming like a thief. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Verse four. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the good book of life, but will acknowledge the name, that name, before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What's interesting as you look at the scripture is Jesus lets them know that it's possible to follow him. And we know that because he says there are a few people that are already doing it. I want to tell you today that it's possible to follow Jesus because of him. It's possible for you to repent of your sin. It's possible for this reoccurring sin in your life to be overcome. It's possible for the reoccurring sin in your life to be the past. Past. It's possible. It's possible. And what I see here and encouraged by is Jesus says it is possible because there were a few people in Sardis that were doing it. Amen? Don't concede that you're always going to be this way. He continues to say if they are dressed in white, spiritually speaking, if they're pure, if they're holy, if they're obedient, if they're covered by his blood, your name will be written in the good book of life. Amen? There's hope for the future. So listen carefully. Listen carefully to those words. Today I have a sneaky suspicion that there are many in this room that feel like they are spiritually sleepy. You are spiritually sleepy, spiritually sleepy. You know that there's more. You just, you just know it. Now look, you can preach messages a certain way that you try to make people feel a certain way. Take all the emotions out of it, right? All the emotions, all the fluctuation of my voice, whatever. You just recognize in your life things have not been where I want them to be or where that I know deep inside my spirit that they're supposed to be, that I'm supposed to be so much closer to God than what I am. That you've been sleeping, that there's been things that he's called you to do and you just haven't done it. You just recognize something is sleeping in me. I need to wake up. I need to wake up. So what I wanted to do is... Um, one of those who feel like they're spiritually sleeping today, that they need to wake up. Just say, God, I know that there's more. And I need help. I need your help. And I trust you. And I want to take a step forward in following you. I want to do whatever it takes. If that's you, I want, um, I want you to stand up right now. 
Amen. Now, what I'd like to do, we don't often do this, but look, I know all y'all in here. I don't see anyone like, well, I see one new person, but I know everyone in here, and I, I know everyone in here has a pursuit and wants to love God. So what I'm asking is, <laughs> we're not a church that's trying to become a mega church. That's not our hope, right? We want to grow deep people in Christ. So we're going to pray right now for those who are standing. So if you are sitting, I want you to go find someone around you and go pray for them. Also, those who are standing, you pray with other people that are like this group right here. You guys should be praying for one another. Amen? So we're going to go pray for people around us. Pray for people around us right now. Ready, go. Now, now, listen. You're like, I don't want to pray out loud. Just go put your hand on someone and pray privately by yourself. Okay? Let's get hands on people. Pray for them silently or out loud. Let's go. Ready, go.